If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Marleya. I'm sitting here crunching. That's <laughs> okay. Veggies. You guys get Good. your, what is it, ASMR? You get your, right. you get your rocks off on Patrice eating into the microphone today. That's 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you started because this drink that we're drinking here, it may just be this full episode of us sitting here drinking and me analyzing since I don't really know what's I kind of know now what's in it but it, the flavors are so complicated mm-hmm. and so good mm-hmm. so you're, there's going to be a lot of this going on <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear what she's doing but it's really funny yes 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 so let's talk about this drink Courtney, do you want to talk about the drink, or do you want me to? Go ahead. Mm. It's birthday present. <laughs> this drink is my birthday present. This week was my birthday. Happy birthday. And I got the shingles for my birthday. Oh, worst and present ever. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I also got to go kayaking with friends and my kids and family, and I got to go out to dinner with friends, and I got to go out to dinner with my, or go to dinner with my parents, so I still had a good birthday. But I did get the shingles. <laughs> and so uh, Courtney kept on. She's been saying for like weeks that she had a special something. And then she she was like, I've got, I'm doing a birthday drink for you this weekend. I'm going to do a birthday cocktail for you. And you know, and I, I'm sure I talked about it on the show. There was a drink at the gin joint in Charleston that we fell in love with. There's that, gin in this? Yes. Mm, okay. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was an onion ice cube, a charred onion ice cube with like strawberry puree and micro time. It was super fancy. And all I do is talk to people about this. Like still, we were at a cocktail party last Saturday night and I gave a detailed description of this drink to everybody there. I mean, I talk about it all the Are time. I'm going to have to like have cards made up for you. Maybe, so you know, it's, be like, could yes, you like I'm freeze be, some onions for me? Gonna be Claudia. That's mine. Uh, that would be so, I'm not that high maintenance yet. <laughs> But no, it's and so um, Courtney made some adjustments to it and played around with it, and so she created a cocktail based on those flavors that she made for us today, and it mm. does have a giant charred onion ice cube in it. It's beautiful. It's really pretty, mm-hmm. and it's really tasty. I love savory. I like. I didn't know I liked savory cocktails because I was just saying, like, right before we turned on the the recorder, I was like, they're always either sweet or boozy mm-hmm. i don't like i don't taste a it's lot like of either you taste the alcohol or you taste the sweet exactly kind of right. it's sugar or booze booze and this is excuse me rah. but the thing about savory with this i really want to eat now well That's we have a lot problem. of food today we do have a lot of food we've got today. like a spread we've got vegetables and berries zaps voodoo heat Oh. chips and yeah. dark chocolate and quiche <laughs> so we get all yes. kinds of shit here <laughs> so we're gonna end right now thank you yes, for listening it was nice to talk to you short episode <laughs> go drink and eat. um mm-hmm. birthday shingles what else um mm. 
Patrice? I got my driver's license pick redone. <laughs> oh, fun. So I got it like in the mail today. And I look like I should be on the title sequence of one of those like women in jail shows. <laughs> it is so awful. It is like <laughs> I look so bad in this. It, but seriously, you could like throw my picture up there with, you know, not obviously not the um, uh, orange is the new black kind of show. <laughs> not that because they actually like they have those makeup are, on and they're like yes, gorgeous those are skin. Pretty glamorous. Though. And they are glamorous <laughs> prison. But this is more like. Uh, was it, you know, maybe ladies of type Tutwiler? <laughs> Something like that. Oh my God, Drew, we should make a ladies of Tutwiler calendar. <laughs> Viola oh, Hyatt. And like, <laughs> yes. Oh, and God, just I think that might be my picture in there and you would never know the difference. <laughs> it's just so bad. I'm just like, fuck it. Are they ever good? Mm. Well, they're not this bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty. And it's like, I got to deal with it now for like, four years i think i've only had one that i liked ever but when they was, always they also always take them from their from the counter like the little the little, mm-hmm. little i know they need to be up high like they haven't learned the lessons oh yeah of they, they are definitely taking the upward towards your double chin shot yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, they're pretty awful oh my gosh it was and i was determined this time to improve over the last time i had it taken mm-hmm. you know and um you know, I had makeup on, which you fucking can't tell. I mean, it's just look, it's just bad. Because you're under fluorescent lighting and, and in an office hair, building. Like I had my hair all sculpted, but like from the angle, it just looks like bush. <laughs> it's just like bush and no makeup prison face. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel for you. Uh, that I really was what I thought of my much, university was... ID. I, I thought my university ID was horrid mm. for years. And then I finally, you and I went and got them done. Yes. And that girl, she was good. She was like, she oh, was no, no, good. we can't take it from this. We have to take it from up here. Right. <laughs> she was like, she, she knew what she was shit, doing. Right? No, I'm yeah. like seriously drinking liquid onions right now. And I'm very mm. happy about it. That's so good. So yeah, you had shingles and mm-hmm. I had the cold sores break out that I'm recovering. It, it's just been a fucking stressful end of the month coming into August. Super stress. Super stress. Don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like. <laughs> That's all you can utter That's now. That's all I can say. Don't <laughs> like. Patrice is like curled up in a fetal position on the floor. Don't <laughs> like. Don't Knocking. like. Don't like. Make it stop. And yet, it's funny. So when I was, um, when I had the shingles, I made myself take a day off, which is kind of like a, I would say it's kind of a big deal. I mean, I always kind of fuck around on all of my normal days because my jobs are small in small increments. And so mm-hmm. it's not like I'm always going like hardcore all day long or anything, but it's really hard for me to sit at my house and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am sick. I am going to make myself sit on my ass in a chair mm-hmm. for 24 hours. That's right. my goal. <laughs> and so I sat in my chair <laughs> And I watched every episode of The Handmaid's Tale that yes. I hadn't watched yet, which I think I, Courtney was it. I told you that I was doing it. And Courtney's like, that's going to be really depressing. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> but I loved it because I was kind of disappointed oh, yeah. with last season. And then I was catching up on this one and binge watching. And it was really, really good. Yes. And um, and then I topped that off with The Nun, mm. which was uh, 
of the Conjuring universe, if you, which was um, remarkably horrible. Mm. Just you know, so don't bother. I would say if you haven't already, and you love the Warrens and all that, like Conjuring shit, The Nun is not a good movie. I just I don't understand. I don't understand how you can have like a like. Haven't you figured out the formula by now? Like, do you not know like what's the formula? That like, was. Are, think- are they speaking to a different audience? Because I know I'm a different like horror movie audience than like younger generations so or was it just like get something cranked out fast and cheap i think i think it might have been but i don't know how cheap it was i mean they had this like castle in romania or whatever i had a doubt i'm sure they didn't film on site or anything right they actually had like a character who was french and he lived in romania and they called his name was fucking frenchy i was like it's really hard to take anything serious when his name is frenchy You know, it's like everybody's like that. We're like he's lost in a graveyard, and they're like Frenchie, and I'm like, that's oh, just dumb. No. That just sounds so dumb. Well, that's kind of funny too, because I started watching The Boys on Netflix, which is based off a um, cartoon. <laughs> Shit, I'm sorry, comic book series. It's not <laughs> cartoon, comic book series, and uh, it's like one of my brother's favorite comic books, uh, and it's kind of like the anti-hero, anti. Comic book, and they've got a guy on there who's French named Frenchie. <laughs> it's like stereotype much. <laughs> That's what, and this guy actually had a name, and I feel like they were trying to keep it secret as some big reveal mm-hmm. because he was the connection between the nun and the conjuring universe. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't a reveal, it right. was an ineffective reveal, it was stupid, right? And um, yeah, I was upset, I was very upset by the movie. Because right. I didn't even end up scared. I was because it is it is formulaic, but it was it was very much like you're watching it and you're like, okay, they know that this thing must be scary. So here comes this thing. Uh, it was like here is a jump was, scare coming it, at you, and here is too much of it was yeah. so formulaic. Yeah. It was just really weak, and there was no story to it, and there were a whole bunch of plot holes. And mm. I was just like, am I missing something? Did I not watch the, the original movie this much? Yeah, and the jump scares weren't even good. Mm. So yeah, just trash that one. Just. Just roundabout trash that movie. But yeah, wasn't gonna watch it anyway. But <laughs> good. Well, no, you want to go see it too. I do want to see it too. Simply, if they if they had like a no name cast, I I wouldn't care. But because they've got so many good actors, mm-hmm. um, then I totally I want to go see it. Mm-hmm. And I want to see it like I can't remember the last horror movie I saw in a theater. Like I really don't think I've ever seen a horror movie in a theater. At all, ever. I, I saw Insidious 3, I think, was the one that I saw in the movie theater with Brandon. And we went to a late, late show. And I may have told this story before, but it was we were at Gadsden Mall. We went to a late show. And if you go, it's one of those malls where, like, everything shuts down. And they only have one entrance left. And if you parked on the wrong side because you were going to dinner or some other, then you have to walk outside around the mall to get to your well, that's scary your car. And so we walked out and we're like, oh, shit, our car is all the way on the opposite end. So we're walking through the parking lot. And um, this is a mall that's situated like on the river. And so there's actually like a really cool boardwalk nature trail out behind the mall, which is nice to walk and everything. But there's always geese everywhere. And um, we were walking around the parking lot and we turned around and there was this flock of geese that was like slowly following us. And whenever you turn, they would stop. <laughs> it was like, we just kind of kept on walking and they Demon would speed geese. up and we would speed up. And it was like kind of terrifying because, <laughs> you know, geese are pretty damn scary. But... They are and they're mean. Mm-hmm. I take that back. I saw Blair Witch. 
Witch Project, which is the only movie I've ever seen in a theater that's scary. And I didn't watch it because it made me car sick, like our movement oh, sick, yeah. like within the first five minutes. So I would like peep like every minute or so and then get sick and then look down. So that's oh, how that's I watched. So sad. Yeah, that's how I watched that one. What but, a waste of, what at that time, $6.50. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh. That was your 21st birthday movie? Oh, wow. Mm. I was actually in Meridian, Mississippi when I saw that. Mm. Well. Do we have any other... Um, I don't think so. Just me bitching about cold sores and shitty... <laughs> we got mugs now. Oh, we did do we have, have those mugs. last time? We do. I don't think we did. <clears throat> we have mugs now. We do. That you can purchase exactly. through a link on any of our socials. It's our skull and blackberries and crow mug. Super cool graphic. Yeah, so if you've gotten our business cards, it's the it's the sticker that's on the, the business sticker. cards. Very, very cool. Yes. And uh, you could also get them on like a travel mug. So I'm starting to, we're doing everything through Redbubble right now simply because I don't want to handle drop shipping unless we do like a special run of t-shirts, mm-hmm. uh, which again, have not had time because life. And, um, but definitely go to our website. There's a link to it or oh, actually there's a picture of the mug on the website you mm-hmm. click on that it takes you to red bubble and as we start like putting more and more stuff up there for t-shirts and posters and whatever else they have available um you can buy and help support our podcast the strange south the strange south Woo! <clears throat> well right. uh so apparently this is like big true crime week <laughs> And because we're right before, I don't think this was on the recording, like right before we sat down to start doing this, Patrice is like, I didn't run my story by Chad. So I don't know if we're doing the same one. And I was like, is it true crime? And she's like, yes. And I was like, fuck. But it is not in the same state. So we're no, safe. We are safe. I'm going to bet that any true crime or murderinos out there have probably heard this story, but I don't care. And I thought it was interesting. And I found it a long time ago and um didn't quite realize how big it was like i found it because there was this quirky element of it that i grabbed onto and it was in south carolina and i was like oh that's interesting so i bookmarked a whole bunch of shit and i was just like sitting on it Mm -hmm. so um i'm gonna go ahead and do it now do it ready so um in august 2016 Kayla Brown and her boyfriend, Charles Carver, didn't show up for a dinner date with friends in their hometown. Um, They lived in Anderson, South Carolina. And a few days went by, and their friends and their parents realized that nobody had heard from them. So they were officially reported missing the first week of September of 2016. Um, Police started to investigate. Meanwhile, in September and October, these weird posts started showing up on Charles' Facebook page. It didn't sound like him at all. So they randomly announced that he and Kayla had gotten married and like moved off and like see you later. Um, There was one that was just like, it was just the lyrics from Hotel California, like the creepiest section, the you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave just out of nowhere and with no context or anything. And um, so, you know, they started, the police are looking for them, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's going on. November 2016, the Anderson police got search warrants for the couple's cell phone records. I'm thinking, like, why did it take that long? Yeah, like, they I'm disappeared like... in August. 
Right. But um, they tracked their last recorded pings to a 95-acre property in Woodruff, South Carolina. Kayla worked at, like, you know, before, she worked at a dialysis clinic, but she had recently picked up a side job with a local realtor. She was cleaning up properties that he was going to rent or sell or what before he could put them on the market. The realtor's name was Todd Colep, and he owned the Woodruff property, the 95-acre property where their cell phone records led the police to. So the Anderson police found out that Spartanburg police, for some reason they didn't at the time know, had also been investigating that property. And um, when they were there, they heard banging and yelling while they were walking around outside in the fields in the property. So they followed it and found out it was coming from a big metal storage container on the property that was locked with like five padlocks. They broke into it and they found Kayla Brown inside, chained by the neck to the wall. And she told police that Colep had shot her boyfriend Charlie to death because he was angry with her. And she had been there for two months living Holy in the storage shit. container. Um, <clears throat> so police arrested Todd Colep on November 3rd, 2016, like right after they found her on kidnapping charges at that right. time. I think I remember seeing something on the news about this guy. It's like really recent, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't even realize how recent. <laughs> right. It, it is. You're right. Um, later on, and she did a, in February 2017, Kayla did an interview with Dr. Phil. And she talked in detail and told him what she had told police at the time that they got her out of the storage unit. Um, there, it was like pitch black inside the container. He didn't have lights or anything oh in there for God. her. It wasn't like a house. It was a storage unit. She's, oh, therapy <clears throat> for the rest of her life. Yeah. You know? Um, she was in there for two months. There was a three foot slack on the chain that was tied around her neck. She couldn't move more than three feet away from the wall. Um, there was rationed food and water inside. He came in. He raped her twice a day. He took her out to the bathroom once a day. He let her bathe every other day. And he, he bought her clothes to match the weather like he, you know. But um, at one point, he, like, mansplained Stockholm Syndrome to her and told her that once it kicked in, she'd feel a lot better and that they could be happy together. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was like, here's, this is what Stockholm Syndrome is. And I don't so, know why you know, that, once like, you start to... makes me more mad than, like, the actual oh my God, chain and, like, living in your own fill. Yes. <clears throat> he said that he was going to build a house for them to live in, and it would include a soundproof room for her to stay in. Like, he's a real charmer. Um, so when she played along with this, like, she got, she got on a little easier, mm -hmm. and he would brag to her about killing other people. So the police are interrogating Colep like late into the night that night. And um, they go in and he asks them, have, have you recovered the body yet? And they said they found Charlie's body, uh, Kayla Brown's boyfriend. Um, <clears throat> and he said, oh, well, that's not the only one. So um, like kind of backtrack. In 2015, Todd Colep, he often went to, like, a local Waffle House. Oh, um, shit. Don't ruin Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> um, and police interviewed the people who worked there later who said that they hated him. Mm -hmm. Well, he because, sounds like a charmer. Oh, yeah. He would... Well, here's the weird thing, and I'm going to pause from this because this isn't something I wrote down, but um, he was a successful realtor. He was actually a charmer in a certain... He was, like, a two-sided being. He was... he was a good salesperson and there were people who were just like, I can't believe that this can't be, he can't be the guy. So, I mean, he, 
he had all these weird, creepy ass things that he really didn't hide that much because here he is creeping people out at a Waffle House. Right. But, but at the same time, I guess it depends. And I mean, <clears throat> to a certain extent, you expect a salesperson to be just that way. Like, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. and you just this, you know, take me, like, trust me. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm talking about personality that's very pushy in your face. I mean, you know the personality. So mm -hmm. you can imagine what people would just take for granted was actually probably not healthy and yeah. not a good personality, yeah. period. Well, he, like, went beyond mm -hmm. with people sometimes. So apparently he would, like, he would go to this Waffle House. He would regularly make jokes inviting the waitresses to come home with him. But he's not really joking. Like, right. And it's funny because you think about this and this is what like sometimes we like have, you know, you've heard like old oh, men. You've in run diners. across. I have run across. Tell yes. you, when I was in like college, I old men loved me like old men yep. hit me up every time I went out mm -hmm. and it was so annoying. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about me. It must be like my, you know, old lady game <laughs> took Waller <laughs> look about me. But yes. <laughs> hear it it's, often well and he would like yeah he would always do this he was he would leave extra large tips like like he was leaving an incentive for them to follow him home he would um they said that he would creep out all the girls who worked there to the point where like one of the cooks every time he came in the cook would come out front and start taking orders so that the women who worked there as waitresses would not have to cook. work with him yes um megan coxie who was 26 years old, was one of those waitresses who worked at Waffle House. She and her 29-year-old husband, Johnny, had gone missing in December of 2015. Um, so after he's arrested for Kayla Brown's kidnapping um, and Charles's murder, he's, he confessed to killing both of those people. Um, they were, you know, when he said, have you found the bodies? Oh, there's more. There were two other bodies on the property, and that's who it were. They were the Coxies. He said that he said to police that she was a panhandler and he met her like on the like, street. That's a fucking excuse. Yeah. And she, and you know, this coworker at Waffle House is like, um, no, he met her here. Right. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things like let's, let's choose like, uh, somebody that people aren't going to respect that much. And then maybe they'll be more lenient with me on why I did this to them or whatever. Um, he said she was a panhandler. Um, he said that he offered her and her husband work, which is probably true because that's how he got the other couple to come to his mm -hmm. property. They showed up and he claimed that Johnny tried to rob him and that he shot Johnny twice in the chest. And then he chained Megan up in the storage container for several days. And he would go in there and he would tell her, this is according to him. This is what his confession said, that he was going to give her $4,000 and he was going to send her to start a new life because the life that she had was shit and she wasn't like making good decisions and he was well, she trying seems to, to be help living her. large in a chain right like, seriously right and so um but then he would go in and he was like she was ungrateful she started burning shit in there so i would open the doors and there would be all clouds of smoke and so he got sick of it and so on christmas day of 2015 he marched her out and shot her in the back of the head so those two were buried on his property and he told police where to find them <clears throat> So this interview process 
with Colap after Caleb Brown's release is an ongoing interview process because he's got a shit ton of stuff to say. Mm -hmm. Like he has done a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, they search his property and they find all kinds of weird shit. He's like set up like a survivalist. Um, he had bought this 95 acre property from this guy who said he just wanted to be left alone. He said he wanted to like kind of test out agriculture and have a place to himself and basically said, don't ever come out here and bother me. Um, but he took, he, he hired somebody to come and put a chain link fence around almost a hundred acres of property. Oh my God. Can you imagine like how well, expensive red, that was? And red flags too. When somebody starts putting up, don't enter here, warning, yep. Bob wire, like basically you go just driving around and you'll see them and mm -hmm. you're like there. I mean, it's like a big red flag. How can you not go? You're doing something wrong. And that's one of those weird things. Like the neighbors commented after he was arrested. It was really weird that he put up this fence. But it's all those kind of little pieces that like, well, they didn't have any reason to call the cops at the time. You know, it's super weird. But so he <clears throat> anyway, um, on this property, he had lots of storage units. The living area was just a fucking mess of shelving units with all this survivalist shit inside and outside. Huge supplies of bottled water and non-perishables, pistols, semi-automatic weapons, gas cans, oil drums. He had cages on the property. Just all kinds of shit. Oh, my God. And so they're looking around. Well, you know, they found all these bodies, and he's being interrogated, and they confiscate his computer, and they look into his online life. And this, is, this was the tag that got me on this one when I found it. Between 2014 and 2016, he bought a lot of this gear that they found around his house from Amazon. And he left reviews on Amazon. Oh, my God. And they were fucking creepy. Oh, my God. So <clears throat> he left a review for the padlocks that he had used to close Caleb Brown into that storage container. And the review was, solid locks have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure, we'll slow them down if they're too old to care. Oh, um, my God. In his, he had a 2014 review for knives. He wrote, haven't stabbed anyone yet yet but i'm keeping the dream alive and when i do it will be with a quality tool like this oh my god um he did a chainsaw review works excellent getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard without having an easy to use chainsaw and there it's was almost like he was just tongue-in-cheek exactly seriously taunting somebody to like really come i'm doing it it's well, and sick. it's like a lot of people had paid attention to these before, but they were like, well, they just thought it was just another asshole on right. Amazon, like being yeah, I guess, uh, the number of times I say this, man, when we're talking about these true crime things is like, dude, I feel like I know this guy. You're like, right. you like, you know, this guy, right? right? Like the weirdo who just can't stop talking about anything, but you know, guns and thinks it's really hilarious and that he's violence. making a joke about murdering his neighbor. Right. Like, and nobody takes it serious. Right. So and there was one, it's so funny because I saw this one and I was like, oh my God, my daughter has this tool. It's a folding shovel. It's like a, it's, it's for campers to use and, like you know, to go poop. it's a utility. Yeah, exactly. It's a utility <laughs> shovel. Bury and his review was five stars. Keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full size shovel at home. I'm like, so the, the original article I found on him was the Amazon review killer. Um, and the, but this wasn't what led police to him it was just one of those kind of ancillary oh my god wow way to nail yourself into your coffin buddy mm -hmm. um so the day after his arrest november 4th 
Um, his own mother, <laughs> Regina Tagg, called the solicitor's office and said Todd had called her from jail and told her that he's killed more people than you can count on two hands. And um, so she started telling them about some of his background, and they started looking into that. In 1986, when he was 15 years old and he lived in Arizona, he kidnapped a 14-year-old neighbor girl at gunpoint. He took his, his stepfather, I think at that time's gun, handgun, and went next door, kidnapped this 14-year-old, made her go back to his house, tied her arms behind her and raped her, a 14-year-old. And he was 15. And he pled guilty and served 14 years. Um, okay. And then was released. And he was a registered sex offender. Was his, like, because he was a juvenile, was his record sealed or anything? And that's why people didn't know about it? I don't or? think they were sealed. I th He got his realtors licensed by lying about mm. his past. That's true. Um, and um, they did, there was a comment in there about his files being transferred to adult court. But I don't think he was charged as an adult. I think like when he aged. Not that I know anything system. about the law or, or anything like that. But it seems like, you know, when you do stuff as a juvenile, sometimes that doesn't really affect your adult Yeah, because life. they close it and they're not. Right. It was pretty egregious. And yes. everybody who worked with him in the system through the time that he was in there said that there was really no improvement in his mental health or emotional state through the time that he was in jail. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, his mother at the time of this happening defended him by saying, he walked the girl home. Does that sound like a dangerous criminal? Oh, my God. So, I mean, part mm. of me wants to just burn that woman at the stake. Right. Because there were other things. She was like, he's not a bad boy. Those people made him mad. It's just oh, like, no. are you fucking kidding me? No. Um, court and psychological records from when he was a juvenile said that he was always angry and violent when he was a child. And I got a lot of my information for this from the Greenville News, which did some really sort of amazing investigative reporting on these cases and did like multi-part stories on it. Um, but there was one where they talked about his history. They said um, one time he didn't get a gerbil and so he Cloroxed a goldfish bowl as vengeance. He like bleached a goldfish to death. Um, he shot broke. a dog with a BB gun. Oh my God. He was, um, told he couldn't come back to Boy Scouts because he was a disruptive influence to the other boys. Um, he took hammers to like newly renovated rooms in his house. He destroyed his own things, his friends, things, his parents, things constantly. Um, his mom said that he'd had emotional and behavioral problems since he was 15 months old. Um, and his parents were divorced. And I, at different times, he lived with his mom and his dad. But um, his his father told a probation officer that his son was only emotional. Of sh he was only capable of showing anger as an emotion. There were no other emotions in his, like, wallet. He just, he didn't have them. Um, and Todd told his mother once when he was a kid that he wanted to go live with his father. It was like when, when he was split up between them. I want to go live with my dad, and if I have to kill you to get there, then that's what I'm going to do. Um. A neighbor said once that he locked her son in a dog kennel and then rolled it around until her son was like, like in a nervous breakdown state because he wouldn't let him out. And then Todd just like stood there and laughed about it. That's the kind of person this oh is. Um, and in 1980, so he was, let's see, if he was 15 and 86, when he was nine years old, he was put into a mental health facility. And, um, 
because and it said because of his mother's inability to enforce limits and his problem behaviors at school. So it was like it sounds like he had some serious mental issues, mm-hmm. and it sounds like his his family life just exacerbated it because mm-hmm. she had no she had no idea what she was dealing with. Yeah, she yeah. Well, and she just sounds like incompetent. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> incompetent like mom. Hey, but you know, yeah. in the face of something like that, yeah. I don't know. You know, well, in the face of something like that, I mean. I, I think you could judgy. do better than that. That's yeah, for sure. on, on the face of something like that, I would totally know that I am incapable of handling that kind of situation, that mm-hmm. personality, and that I need to get somebody involved that yeah, could. Absolutely. So he was described in his evaluations at the mental health facility. He was preoccupied with sex. He was intelligent, showed low motivation, poor self-esteem, and antisocial personality characteristics, which it sounds like antisocial personality disorder. Um, it said behaviorally he's demanding self-centered and likely attempts to force others to do what he wants in order to meet his own needs Mm -hmm. because other people aren't real to him Mm -hmm. so he served his time for this juvenile rape case that's 14 years that's that's a long time i mean he was a long time i mean he lived at different times after that with his mother and his father i think but he lived with his mother in spartanburg he moved to south carolina in like 2001 i think and he lived with his mom for a year, and she said that he got really angry a lot. He, she said, and this is on the phone call with investigators that she made after he had called her from jail. He had bought a motorcycle that he couldn't ride back then, and she didn't want to waste the investigators' time, but she thought they might want to look at him in connection with the superbike murders in 2003. His own mother. So, my God. the story behind those is... November 6, 2003, four people at a superbike motorcycle shop in Chesney, South Carolina, were shot to death in a case that was never solved. Um, Their names were Scott Ponder, Beverly Guy, Brian Lucas, and Chris Sherbet. Um, So once the mother called and brought this up, the investigators shifted their questioning because they were still in the middle of all of their interrogations of him. Um, And this is the confession that they eventually got from him. He had bought a, a motorcycle from Superbikes in April of 2003 because um, he was on their customer list. And he had actually been contacted with all the other customers of the shop in 2003 when the murders occurred. They contacted everybody who had ever been on the customer rolls and they'd called him twice and he hadn't returned the calls. But I guess he wasn't like a person of interest, so they never followed up. Um, he said, Todd said, that the staff there was rude to him when he bought the bike, that they were kind of like making fun of him and talking about how he didn't know how to ride a motorcycle and being patronizing about trying to teach him how to do it. Um, And it pissed him off. And a few days later, he regretted buying it. And he was thinking about taking it back, but somebody stole it off the street in front of his house. So he was convinced for some reason that the guys at the bike shop had gone and stolen the bike back for whatever reason. So he went back to buy another motorcycle And he says he overheard them talking and one of them implied that he had stolen the motorcycle. So he thought that he had evidence from overhearing them. So over the course of like the next couple of months, he kept on going out there and sitting on bikes to test them out really just so he could eavesdrop on the people there to get himself more and more angry about the way that they had treated him. And probably and, continue to treat him with and, this weirdo yeah. coming back, sitting on the Exactly, bikes. because he was never buying anything. He was just going there. And, you know, so um, he said, and this is, again, from the Greenville News, from their reporting on it. He bought a Beretta 92 9mm. He had three 10-round magazines. He was going to school at the time. He was at university. He left class on Thursday, drove to Boiling Springs, put a pistol in a shoulder holster in the parking lot, 
and went to the store. He didn't want to shoot other customers. So he sat in the parking lot of the store and waited until everybody he wanted to shoot was together inside the building. So he like scoped everything out and waited until he could go in there. And he did kill people that didn't work there also, you know, so it failed. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had, so in order to get them all in one place, he was sitting on a certain bike. He said, I'm going to go ahead and take this one. And they took it in the back to start to prepare it. So he had them all together. He said, after the customers were gone, he went in, he described in detail the rounds he fired, the number of rounds, how each victim was shot and where. Um, and, uh, let's see, he called like, he was talking deep, like three people tried to run out the door and he said he had to stop for a tactical reload. I mean, he was one, it's like, he thinks he's in the military or something. He never had any military background. He's just has like weird fantasies about who he is. Um, and so he describes in detail how he shot all four people in this unsolved case. So on November 5th, um, police announced charges against him for those murders too. So at this point, his body count is seven. And um, in 2017, he was convicted and he was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences for each of the deaths, plus 60 years for the kidnapping. Um, And, you know, in August 22nd, 2018, he told investigators that he would lead them to two more bodies in South Carolina near the highway. They went, they didn't find them, but they, they do continue, I guess, to investigate him for like, they look through every cold case in the area over the, since the time he had moved there. And Mm -hmm. they were still kind of looking at those because they, they really do think that he probably killed a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason I thought you guys might have heard this or especially you is because I think Jensen and Holes had just talked about this recently. Yeah. The murder squad has covered this and, um, investigation discovery just released by the time you hear this, all three of the episodes that they did on it. Well, and I know that's what I want to go home and watch. Um, Investigation Discovery has got a series called Serial Killer Devil Unchained because when they, it, that comes from like the descriptions from his files from when he was a kid, they said that he was like a devil on a chain. Oh my God. And um, so if you want to know more about this or if you're interested or freaked out and want to freak yourself out worse, um, check out any of those things because they sound like they're going to be really interesting and much more in depth with interviews and stuff like that than I could get here. But yeah, that was a, wow. that was a crazy so one. Do you think he got into real estate strictly for having properties that he could offload bodies on or funding or how, I mean, it's weird. That's just like, you know, I could understand like law enforcement or something with, you know, mall cop you know something that give him authority Mm -hmm. and access to guns and stuff but i don't know because you know honestly and like i said you know it's not like i'm i haven't done like extensive research or anything but from what i saw it looked like he just made a really good living at it wow like he made a lot of money as a real estate agent so weird in that area and so he was good at it. People who worked in it, he did work. He wasn't one of those like 100% home real estate agents. He did mm-hmm. work out of an office. And they said, people did say in his office, he watched porn at work. I mean, uh, like he was, he was a, yeah. a red flag, a walking red flag. Right. But um, in spite of it, you know, he apparently made really good money. And that's how he could afford to buy this 95 acre property. Right. Um, Let's go back to the porn at work. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> Why do people think they can get away with working? When I worked at PV Electronics in Meridian, Mississippi, mm-hmm. there were people, they would have to go through because people were watching porn at work 
and fire them. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what is it going through your brain to think that you can get away? Can you not spend five hours, six hours out of your day mm-hmm. not watching porn? I <laughs> know, seriously. What? What? I don't understand. It's such, I mean, oh my God, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The, there was, listen, so my, my day job is I work as a, a freelance writer for security organization. And um, there was a story that I heard once from somebody that I interviewed years and years back who had said that um, they had solved some IT problems by cracking down on porn sites on the bandwidth computers I'm sure. because the bandwidth they were using was astronomical. Mm-hmm. He said the number of people that are watching porn on your networks is sickening. Mm-hmm. He's like, and oh it God. is really costing you a shit ton what of money. Fuck? So if you block these out, if you lock this down, mm-hmm. you'll actually save a lot of money. You know? Right. And they did. It made a huge difference. Or just fire the assholes who think they can get away with watching porn at work. Mm-hmm. I don't understand them. Students. Oh oh my God. I bet students at the university are just like 24 seven investigative reporting. (laughs) 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 Yes. You should be doing your homework, not watching porn. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the Strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. So I'm doing the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Mm. You will know these murders. This is that's like the very romantic name. It has several different names to these murders and stuff, but this is what caught my eye because I was looking something around the Arkansas area since I hadn't done Arkansas in a while. And again, I don't sorry Texas, I don't consider you the South. Mm-hmm. You just happen to get thrown in there because you're like right there on the border with um, Arkansas and this happening. So this happened in 1946. In Texas Arcana, which is a city that literally half of it's in Texas, half of it is in Arkansas. And in 1946, this is like the year right after World War II. It's the atomic age. Uh, it's like right before the big monster movies. Like everybody's freaked out because of the A-bomb. So mm-hmm. it's like we start having like uh, Godzilla and Mothra and the blob and the creature from the Black Lagoon um, are going to start popping up. So it's all these mutated creatures. So we did win the war, but, and everybody came back home and they're working and it's supposed to be like the big boom and stuff. Uh, the cost of a new house back then is $5,600 for a no. new house. Uh, what, what, how does that, let's see. With today's money. How would that be with today's money? I wonder. Mm. Still probably kind of low. Yeah. I don't know. So that's that's the cost of a new house. Uh, I didn't put this down here, but I think average salary was about $1,500 a year. 
you could buy, <laughs> this is what I marked down. You can buy a dozen donuts for 15 cents. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was also the year that the bikini was invented in France. It like made its debut in, in 1946. It was scandalous year. <laughs> it was also. Bear midriff. Yes. It was also the year that we had a first attack in this town. In this town, I was watching some YouTube. There's tons of stuff about these murders on, on YouTube. And I was watching a couple of guys talk about it. And they said, like, this town was not, like, a peaceful Mayberry town. It was pretty much referred to as a rough town. Uh, compared it to, like, little, they called it Little Chicago. You know, just as far as violence and things happening like that. It's the Texas side. It is. It, it, yes. <laughs> exactly. Blame it on Texas. So on uh, February 22nd, 1946, there was the first attack. Around 11.45 on that Friday, Jimmy Hollis, age 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Laurie, age 19, went and saw a movie. And then afterwards, they went down this dirt road that was about 50 feet from the main road just outside of town. And... It was very secluded, and it also was known as Lover's Lane. Uh, so they get there, they make out, you do what you do in Lover's Lane, or whatever you do, you do, what you do. right? Or whatever people did in the 40s, back, you know, Lover's Lane. They neck. They neck. <laughs> uh, and a man walks up to the car wearing a white cloth mask, which resembles a pillowcase with the eyes cut out. So Hollis, he he comes up to Hollis's driver's side door and he shines like this really bright flashlight in the window, blinding them. And at first Hollis thought this this was a prank and says, go away, guy. You got the wrong person, got the wrong car. And the guy's like, I don't want to kill you, fella. Do as I say. And things got really serious from then. So both Hollis and Laurie were ordered um, out of the driver's side door the man ordered Hollis to take off his britches and then he pistol whipped him in the back and it cr- actually cracked his skull. Wow. And then thinking that that guy was going to rob him, um, you know, the girl's like, oh, here, here's my money. And um, he didn't, you know, robbery was not his intent. Uh, she was struck with a blunt object after she was like trying to give him his wallet and everything. And he ordered her to stand. So he just like kind of hit her, ordered her to stand and told her to start running. And so she tried to flee towards a ditch, but the assailant ordered her to run in a different direction up the road. And so she spotted an old car parked on the road. And when she got to it, it was empty. And so when she turned around, there was her attacker again and um, he asked her, why was she running? And she's like, because you told me to run. And he called her a liar and then knocked her down and sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, this is pretty rough. Uh, then after the assault, the assailant um, disappeared. She ran on foot for probably about half a mile to the nearest house. And, uh, while she was running, she attempted to like flag down a car, but the car just like, you know, 
didn't pull over anything. She ended up going to the residence and woke them up and they phoned the police. At this time, Hollis, who was struck, um, he wasn't killed uh, with the blow to his head, but he was knocked unconscious. He regains consciousness and he manages to uh, flag down a car and the motorist of course, you know, you see people with blood on them in, in the middle of the night down a dark road. I would be the, I would be like, no, you're not mm. getting in my car and go call the police. And that's what these people did. So they went and they phoned the police and the police showed up. And at the time, it was um, in Bowery County. It was uh, Sheriff Bill Presley there who came and, um, you know investigated the assault and they did again it was a rough town they didn't really think much about it uh but they found hollis's pants about uh a hundred yards away from the parked car laura wait he told him to take off his pants and then he just took off with them and threw them somewhere i i yes oh my god yes i I don't know why that's i don't i don't know i I don't know oh my god moment i don't know why i don't know if if Yeah, I don't know the sequence of, of why, if he took him off or if the guy took him off and mm-hmm. just didn't because they were hindering him walk. I don't know. Weird. Weird. Yeah. So, Laurie, the, uh, the girlfriend, was hospitalized overnight for, like, minor head wounds, which this is the reporting. Um, actually, it's Wikipedia gave me the most detailed account of, of this happening, and they they said she was hospitalized overnight like it wasn't a big deal and i'm like and she was fucking raped with mm-hmm. a gun but of course they didn't even say that mm-hmm. and they acted like his skull fracture i mean again that's a big deal but raped with a gun it was mm-hmm. like to me stood out way more he was hospitalized though for several days obviously with his multiple skull fracture they both survived the attack and you know they had a little bit conflicting reports Lori claimed that the man was wearing a white bag over his head and uh, that she thought she could see skin. She thought he was African-American. Hollis, the man, or the boyfriend, thought he was a white man under the hood of, you know, the mask and was maybe around 30 years old but couldn't remember anything distinguishing because he had the flashlight in his eyes, first of all, and he was pretty well covered up. And obviously, you know, he got pistol whipped. And he said, like, they both agree that he was about six feet tall. And then, of course, the law enforcement repeatedly asked Lori, like, her account of the guy. And she was a little sketchy on it. And so they weren't sure, to, like, to take her serious or, or anything. It's about, like, you know, the identity of this dude. I could just, I mean, I could just all picture this in, in my brain, like, how this totally went down back mm-hmm. in 1946. About a month later, March 24th, 1946, Richard L. Griffin and his, Griffin and his, he's 29, and his girlfriend of about six weeks, who is Polly Ann Moore, who was 17, uh-huh, uh, was found dead mm. in Griffin's 1941 Osmobile sedan, uh, sedan, and they were killed or they weren't killed, but they were found early that Sunday morning. So they were probably out Saturday night. And again, they were found in Lover's Lane. Uh, and it was near this night spot called Club Dallas. So the motorists that actually found them first thought that the two were like in the car asleep because they were in weird positions. Mm-hmm. So Griffin was found between the front seats with his on his knees with his head resting 
on his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. That doesn't sound like so. Sleep. It just <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound. It sounds very uncomfortable. But it's just it's a weird position, mm-hmm. regardless. And then more was found. The girlfriend was found sprawled face down in the back seat. Uh, Griffin was shot twice. The boyfriend was shot twice uh, while still in the car. However, it looks like the girl was pulled out of the car, maybe, or somebody was pulled out of the car because there was blood beside the car and there was actually blood all down the front board, front runner of the car. Mm. And uh, so they're thinking maybe they were pulled out of the car, shot, and then placed back into the car. Mm. Which, that's a lot of fucking work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just weird. Uh, and so they did distinguish that uh, they were killed by a thirty-two cartridge shell that was also found from a Colt pistol wrapped in a blanket blanket. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was like no extra reports really done or investigation once they got the bodies to the morgue. So they don't know. I don't think they examined her to see if she was raped Mm -hmm. or anything. Uh, it's kind of sketchy there. And of course, you know, there was the attack on Lover's Lane, and now there's a murder on Lover's Lane. So mm-hmm. this is starting to get police's attention. And so they launched this citywide investigation, and they bring in, you know, the multiple sheriffs from around the counties. The FBI was called. And they start to interview, like, 50 to 60 witnesses. And they're mostly focusing on that nightclub there. And they start to offer, again, like, you know, things... Things have escalated. They're offering like five hundred dollars for the uh, conviction or for the capture or, or any information about this person, and they start to like interviewing people. And they had like probably about a hundred false leads at this point, so nobody really knows anything about who it was, and nobody. I mean, everybody has guesses, but mm-hmm. nobody has any solid information. About a month later. On the evening of Saturday, April 13th, Betty Jo Booker, age 15, was playing her alto saxophone in a regular gig she had with her band at, like, the Veterans Club there. It's an interesting. It is. It's What's an auto saxophone? Alto. Oh, alto. So, oh, alto, sorry. I was, like, Not I was alto. thinking, like, auto harp. I was <laughs> like, thinking, like, one of those little ones that, right? like, Alto, play. sorry. All you have to do is blow into it, and it'll play a tune. <laughs> it's a kazoo. So, she had she had her band, and she was playing this, this like, her regular gig, and she got, um, I mean, 15 years old, she gets out of this club, or this venue that she has at 1.30, and her friend Paul Martin, yeah, yeah, comes and picks her up to walk her home. I I don't know. I would have dad out there picking me up. Probably I'd, if it was my child, I would be sitting in there with her, Mm -hmm. watching her and walking her home and taking her home. But, you know. (laughs) A gig till 1 a.m. 1 a.m. All right. Damn. 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Courtney's like, I'm 15 Mm. in 1946. You're grown now. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That is true. It's like, you should be making babies by now. (laughs) Oh, yes. So her friend was like just a year older. And they, uh, I guess he picked her up. And that was the last time they were seen alive. So Martin's body, uh, the friend, was found the next morning at like 6.30 a.m. Uh, laying on his side, 
near this park. And blood was found further on down the road, and they couldn't find her. Uh, but he had been shot like four times, and it really looked like he put up a struggle because one of the shots was like through the hand, and it was like one oh, in the wow. shoulder. So he must have like really fought back. Booker's uh, body was not found until 11.30, so four hours later, five hours later. Uh, two miles down the road from Martin's body behind a tree. Her body was laying on her back. She was fully clothed and her uh, right hand uh, with the right hand in her pocket of her buttoned overcoat. So Ooh. she looked staged, basically. She had only been shot twice, once to the chest and once in the face. Man. Again, thirty-two automatic Colt uh, pistol. They found his car about three miles away, and it was parked with the keys still in it. So they don't really know who was shot first and how things went down. Mm -hmm. Probably with modern investigation, I would think they'd probably figure that out a little bit better. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just really strange. It's, it's almost like with our technology today, I don't know if it makes it easier to figure out these situations or not. This tells you how much I know about true crime. I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. Um, but again, Sheriff Presley, uh, is called in and now they've got the Texas Rangers involved and they examine the bodies. And like I said, they both put up a terrific struggle and they were unable to locate Booker's saxophone until like six months later. And then again, this is kind of a clue here. It was just under a bush near the body. It just never been found. Huh. So Again, kind of weird. Like they've got like that many people on. Yeah, you know, are they just found the body and, and are done? I, I don't know. Again, speculation. Me not knowing anything. <laughs> the reward it goes up to seventeen hundred dollars. So about like a, year's a year's salary. income right oh there. My gosh. So they are like really starting to freak out now. Another month, not even a month, May 3rd. So the first was like April 13th or something. So May 3rd comes around. And there is this man, Virgil Stark, who is a former and a welder. And he's 37. And he has a really nice house that he lives on. And all of these, these the other attacks in the murder is on the west side of Texarkana. It's on the Texas side. Mm -hmm. This is really the only one that's on the Arkansas side. So he is at home on a Friday night, and he lives about 10 miles northeast of Texarkana. So, again, not even really living in the city limits there. He's listening to his radio, and his wife, Katie, who is 36, is in her bedroom um, getting ready to turn in, and she thought she heard something in the yard. So she yells at Virgil to, like, turn his radio down because she thought she heard something. So he turns it down, and then she hears broken glass. Oh. And what it is is somebody had shot Virgil oh. in the head from the window where he was sitting in the living room, but she didn't hear the gunshots. She just heard the glass breaking. Mm. So she goes in there and she see Virgil's like, you know, she's going there to fuss at him because she thought she, he broke one of her dishes or something like that. And she sees him, him slumped over in the chair bleeding. So she runs to go call the police. And while she's doing that, somebody shoots her 
in the face oh. from the same window. And it actually, like, I think one of the bullets lodged under her tongue and it oh shattered her teeth. And it's just like, you know, anything tooth related, it's just massive blood. Oh. She's just bleeding profusely. So he shot her twice in the head. And so she she manages, like, she falls down, but she manages to get back up. And the rest of this really reads like a horror movie. So she manages to get back up. She runs and tries to get the pistol from the living room, but she is blinded by her own blood. And she hears the killer trying to get into the house through the window and tearing loose, like, the rusted screen and the wire to get in to finish her off. And and I'm just going to read you verbatim here. It's like she thought she was going to be killed. She, So she stumbled towards her bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. What the fuck? I don't know. Wasn't I mean, she'd been shot in the face. Who, who much thinking you're going to be doing, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way up the stairs and into the side screen porch through the back screen door. She heard the killer coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around and ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, down the hallway, through another bedroom, and then into the living room and out the front door. Um, but she was leaving like a virtual river oh. of blood and teeth uh, throughout the house as she oh was running through. Um, and she was barefoot. She was like in her PJs, just soaked with blood. She ran across the street where her sister and brother-in-law lived, but they were out of town. Uh. So then she had to run 50 yards further to the next door neighbors. And, you know, and, like she like knocked on the door and, I guess try to explain best she could through like a mouthful of blood what was going on. And so the guy there got his shotgun out and like fired it into the air in the neighborhood because that's how you got the neighborhood's attention. It's like mm. you start firing a shotgun. That was like their call to arms, I guess. Um, and so they all got together and went to find him and, and they found him dead. He had been killed mm. and they took her, uh, to the hospital and again this is something that was kind of that was said that just made me go hmm said mrs starks gave um mr taylor the driver one of her teeth with a gold filling she was in a semi-conscious state slumped forward on the front seat although she lost a considerable amount of blood she showed no signs of going into shock and her heart rate remained normal I'm sorry, but acting calm and normal in the face of a catastrophe that just happened or a traumatic event that just happened to you is shock. Yeah, right? that's what that is. That is what that is. <laughs> she was so far in shock. She's handing you gold oh, fillings out of her teeth. And she's, yeah, she was in shock. So the sheriff at the time in that area, Miller County, um, who became head of the investigation, of course, questioned her. While she was in the operating room, and then after this happened, the news went out on the front page uh, that morning, murder rock city again, farmer slain, wife ruined, uh, wounded. Mm. Um, four days later, the sheriff talked with Mrs. Starks again, and she was like discounted the circulating rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their home several nights in a row and feared that of being killed. And this is where things get a little bit different than the Lover's Lane murders. Uh, a twenty-two rifle was used instead mm-hmm. of the Colt uh, thirty-eight. 
However, a flashlight was found outside under the hedges and bloody prints were around the house. They found those. So this time we've had like five murders. We've had three assaults. They are freak. It's within the span of three months. People are freaking out. And so Texas Rangers are there. Police officers are there. They start dressing up and try to um, lure the killer to like come get them but everybody's like armed they've got like you know texas rangers yeah. dressed up you know pretending to be teenagers I'm making out like, dressed up as women <laughs> dressed up as women in their frocks and you know with their guns just daring somebody to you know tap on the window with the pillowcase over their head Ugh. and even the teenagers start going out you know armed I'm surprised they but, go out at all. Well, like but yeah. Home. So after all of this happens, uh, the unofficial theory uh, that a lot of the officers had that this is this was sex mania. They think that uh, Mr. Stark was killed because they wanted Mrs. Stark kind of thing. So this is you know what was being published in the papers: uh, sex maniac hunted and murders. The reward goes up to seven thousand. And they put, like, a picture of the flashlight in the paper saying, have you seen this flashlight? Because they took it off and, like, they shipped it off to D.C. to see if they could find fingerprints. The problem is they don't have evidence. They don't have fingerprints. They don't have DNA. Mm -hmm. Well, DNA wasn't a thing back then. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to go on. Uh, Nobody's talking. Nobody knows who this person is. Mm -hmm. So the city goes into absolute panic. First, after the first double murders, you know, parents were warning their children not to be out late. After the second double murder, the city, like, starts setting curfews for businesses. Uh, the height of the town's hysteria really snowballed after the uh, murder of Virgil Starks. And the uh, Texarkana Gazette on Sunday, May 5th, you know, was saying that the killer might strike. So they're, like, camming oh it up God. for everything that it's worth. And they give him the name the Phantom Killer, hmm. which again, Phantom Killer, Moonlight Murders, mm-hmm. very romantic, very dramatic. It's just feeding into uh, the panic. Everybody, you know, PSTD. Mm. I'm sure there for this time. PTSD. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and they have nobody to blame them. So they are nobody, you know, to convict. Not to blame it on. I'm mm-hmm. sure they tried to blame it on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so they've interviewed all these people, everybody, you know, they follow all these leads. The leads goes nowhere. There there was two main leads that they followed up on, but they really couldn't pin on anybody. Mm-hmm. So first lead was there was, and I don't have his name down because this is where I just stopped. <laughs> um, there was a high school boy who committed suicide and in his suicide note wrote that he killed you know, the teenagers and Hmm. Virgil. And then, you know, again, there was nothing. He knew all the victims Mm -hmm. and he was connected to all the victims, but there was really nothing other than that he knew and knew of the victims to connect him to the murders. Mm -hmm. So that was a sad situation. But there was an auto thief that had just gotten married and his wife actually, I think, was caught in in trying to steal a car or in waiting for him to steal a car. 
And she started talking and confessed in great detail that her husband, uh, was it Yule Swinney? Yule, Yule Swinney was actually the phantom killer. And she, you know, he, she told a lot of things that they hadn't released Mm -hmm. to the press yet, but he was just a petty, as far as they knew, he was just a petty car thief. So they took both of them in and she, of course, is riding out on her husband. They finally catch him. He doesn't really, he doesn't confess or anything. And all they can hold him on is like car theft charges. And still to this day, you know, after that last murder, it stopped. Hmm. And he has been in jail uh, off and on since then for uh, stealing cars, but was never like accused of killing uh, anybody, even though the wife had some details. And and the details, from what I know, is that she, uh, the girl, uh, Betty Jo Booker with the saxophone, mm-hmm. she had like her book, she had like a date book or something with her and... It was found, it was found like in some bushes somewhere. And she said that her husband took the the book and threw it in the bushes and nobody had said anything about the book. Hmm. So she did have like some credible um, and wild tales about like what had happened and her involvement in it, but they could never really like pin it on either one of them. They had no sound other than because he wouldn't confess and she Hmm. kept trying to change her story and so they just, you know, they let, I think, her go. And then he, like I said, he's been in and out of jail multiple times since then. Mm. But it is the idea and the horror of, it's, it's like that um, Lover's Lane and the hook tale oh, that yeah. you hear of. It's like, you know, somebody knocking on the car mm-hmm. and like and there's the hook, you know, off the door handle after you drive off. It's kind of that kind of vein of terror and urban legend come to life mm-hmm. uh, of this tale. And it's it's the bag-faced killer, the, you know, pillowcase, which is really horrifying looking. Yeah. And in the 70s, they did a movie based off of this called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Oh. And it was actually recreated in 2014. They did um, a remake that wasn't really a remake. Um, they they alluded to uh, the original movie in it, but then they like built up this murderer, and he like murdered more people in the seventies. Kind of, it's you know. So people took this fear that happened to this poor town during the forties and just really ran with it and not soon after I mean or soon afterwards things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh. and all these slasher films you know came about and you had this real life hooded figure the baghead figure sackhead killer um mm. phantom slayer that really I think kind of fueled a lot of the nightmares of the people who created that that kind of excessive I mean slasher films yeah. afterwards what was the 2014 remake called or not? the town that dreaded sundown it was the same it's the same name i don't remember hearing about that i i i recognized the name um 
I didn't hear anything about it. I don't know what it was about, but I recognized the killer's face because it's, mm-hmm. it's the infamous Sackhead killer. And that a lot of that was based off of this 1940s murder spree that happened in Texarkana. Wow. And there's so much like really bad YouTube out there <laughs> on it. On so many, I mean, podcasts uh, covered because this is like one of the biggest unsolved cases in Texas history. Wow. Uh, so a lot of people know about it. And I remember, like I said, I recognized like the Sackhead killer. And I remember hearing something about like maybe the Phantom Killer. But when I f- initially got into researching this because of the, it was like the Moonlight Murders. Mm. I mean, that sounds so like novelish, yeah. you know, kind of deals. And that kind of not would, threatening at all. It's not way. threatening. You know, it's very like got this like romantic gothic sound to it and that's what led me down I was like oh I remember that movie coming out I remember seeing that killer face and it's horrifying and then you read about that but it's really strange me I mean my knee-jerk you know investigative not uh person here I don't really think that Virgil Stark's murder with the 22 is the same as the lover's lane yeah it's interesting that they're tied together because it sounds like there's really nothing there's yeah other than people dying and being terrified nothing you know that really ties them at all together that kid that committed suicide he he wrote a note saying that he did that one too as well as the teenager yeah i believe so yeah so i don't know and again that's like the extent of my limited research on this so i'm gonna watch the movie yeah and you know i did listen to a couple of the podcasts and i'll look to find some more of course it won't help y'all y'all do your own research <laughs> you know, if you're interested in this it is interesting to me though um just how this was handled they were like making booby traps it's like once people started to really panic in the town it's like people they sold out of guns they sold out of ammunition oh, wow. Uh, people were making like homemade booby traps of like pans, like uh, of anything in the house to alert them if somebody broke into the house. Yeah, I guess you don't have alarm systems. Right. They so. didn't really, yeah, they had to make homemade alarm systems. And then they were also um, like if their husband had to go out of town, they would stay in a local hotel and with a very unfortunate name called Grim, the Grim Hotel. <laughs> But a lot of families, um, you know, wives with their children, mothers with their kids would stay in the hotel in a cluster so that they weren't by themselves um, during this time period. And it just kind of faded like they had all these people investigating, all the Texas Rangers there, you know, and then as the months went on, they just... They didn't announce that they were leaving the case, mm-hmm. but like one by one, they slowly just just departed. Um, I think not to announce it, just to keep the sanity of you know the city and and the people living in it, and slowly it just faded away. Hmm. It's weird. So the guy that was a kill, the car thief that was a killed, uh, not killed. He was a killed. Was, he was a killed. No, that. It was like their only lead. Mm-hmm. He actually lived to like the nineties and died mm. in prison because of other things, other like things, car, the car thefts, and oh, stuff. right? Because of things that he was accused of. Wow, it's weird. 
So that is the Texas Arcana Moonlight Murders. Don't let your 15-year-old come home by herself without an adult. All right. Well, let's all be creeped out now. (laughs) Yes. All the people around us are scary. (laughs) Uh, Yes, people are scary. Do use your best judgment. Trust no one. Trust no one. (laughs) Lock your doors. Lock your car doors. I've gotten really good at locking my car doors, especially after listening to a lot of um, my favorite murder. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, I don't care if anybody hears me. It's like somebody walks up. I'm like, clink. (laughs) What are you going to do? It's probably a good thing to do. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. We should know. Wait, okay, let, just let me say the state. Is it in South Carolina? No. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we have to. She's like, wait, God. We damn have it. to work really hard to reduce our stress levels. <laughs>